As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? And she said, recording in progress. So we are going. Shira, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you because I know the basics about you, but I don't know in depth, the in-depth stuff. So I'm very excited to hear about it. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes, let's do this. Okay. So you are a musician. You're an entrepreneur. You started Gritty and Pink, which is Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a platform connecting the music industry with female creators. Is that is that right? Female creators and pros. Yep. Working in all aspects of the industry. It's so cool. And it doesn't exist. Like it this is the first of its kind, which is like wild that we haven't, no one's done it, you know, given our day and age. But so necessary. You just got like funding from Live Nation. You're like fucking doing it. Uh, so congratulations <laughs> on all of that. Thank you so much. Um, but we're here to talk about a little bit about your low points and how you became the musician and the entrepreneur, the woman, the creator, the artist that you are today. So is there a moment in your life, thinking back, whether it's childhood, adolescence, adulthood, that you are very proud of or most proud of overcoming, whether it's an obstacle, a low point, um, a challenge that like really stands out to you? Yeah. Um, well, a couple things come to mind, but, um, you know, to get personal, I think one of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome in my life is, um, I have Crohn's disease Mm. and I was diagnosed when I was 14 and, it was really hard at the time, you know, I had to go on prednisone and my cheeks puffed up and I'm like a freshman in high school and the boys are making fun of me, calling me Mickey Mouse. And I don't want to tell everyone I have a disease, you know, I hate that word, you know, now I just say I have Crohn's, but, um, you know, even to this day, like going out to eat, you know, ordering people think I'm picky. It's like, no, I have dietary restrictions, you know? Um, so I think that's probably for me, one of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome and, you know, something I'm proud of, uh, that I, you know, have learned to live with and deal with and, and thrive. Still. Yeah. And especially like at 14, when already like middle schoolers and high schoolers are assholes trying to like fit in. And then you add like something that like maybe puts you in like an other, like you're othered a little bit in that way. Um, I talked to somebody on this podcast who had has ulcerative, ulcerative colitis. I don't yeah. know if I'm saying that right. And yes, and had the same sort of, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how similar they are, but like had the same sort of like it happened in uh, high school and was like in and out of the hospital. Um, what, what, what did you do? Like, how did, do you have like a good growing up? Did you have like a good, stable family that you could rely on or friends that you could rely on? Or did you feel more alone in having to deal with that? I did. I'm lucky enough. I, you know, I had really supportive parents. My mom came with me to all the doctors, um, you know, and it's kind of, 
ironic, but recently my cat got really sick, you know, and I kept having to visit him in the hospital and take him to the vet test. And I, I said, mom, I don't know how you did it. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a lot, you know, it's, it's it wears on you, you know, but she was great. I remember she would kind of turn it. We would always like go out to eat after and she would kind of try to turn it into like a fun thing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to have had that, but I think when you're that young, it's like there was some shame involved. So I really didn't want a lot of my friends like knowing, even though I had a tight friends group, it's like, cause you don't want to put it out that there's something like wrong with you. Sure. Looking back, you know, I wish I had, cause I feel like that would have shut up, you know, people that were making fun of me or whatever, you know, but it's like, you know, at the time I just wasn't secure enough. So I, I remember sort of like keeping it a secret. And I think my, probably my close friends knew, but people obviously saw like a physical change in me and wondered like what was going on. Um, and so I overcame it. And then senior year, right before prom, I actually like middle of the year, I had another relapse and I got really sick. I was in the hospital with an obstruction and they thought I, knock on wood, they thought I might've had to have surgery. I'm really lucky. Like I've been able to, you know, knock on wood, not have surgery or anything like that. But, um, but I got really sick and I was trying, you know, part of Crohn's is like, you try all these diets and, um, and I think I tried to diet that was like made it worse kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was dancing at the time and like my, my teacher noticed I was like getting very skinny, you know? And then, so I got sick again and then I had to go back on prednisone. And so like my face puffed up and then it's like prom time, you know, right mm-hmm. before senior prom. And it's like, you know, luckily I had a boyfriend at the time who was so supportive and like so cool. And, you know, so I, at that, I think at that point, when I was a senior, I was more comfortable with like kind of, you know, owning it and telling everyone like what was going on and stuff. But yeah, it's still, I think when you're like, you know, a 17 year old girl, and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, you know, what's totally. happening to me? Yeah. And prednisone, that is, is that a steroid? What is that? It is. Yeah. Okay. And like, so is there like a withdrawal effect from that at all? Or is it just like you take it and you're good and like you can very easily stop taking it? Well, they, they have to taper off. So okay. yeah. Got it. So, yeah. Got it. Okay. So then- how did that affect, um, well, like, are you, you were a dancer, were you like very involved in like academics or were you very much like music dance? Like wh- where were you? And I was involved in academics. I actually went to like a magnet high school for science and technology, which cool. is so funny now that I'm like in tech because I would, I was like the girl in the science tech high school, like doing performing arts. Like I was very artistic and, and I did dance and I competed and, and so, uh, in theater, um, but I went to, the, I was part of this high school that my older brother was part of. It was kind of like a very small sort of like experimental type of school, but like we, I mean, I went to high school, you know, in the late nineties, I'm an elder millennial. Like I, we learned how to like, like in the dawn of the internet, like how to code HTML and like, you know, it was yeah. crazy. Like they, part of our program, excuse me, part of our program was they gave us computers, you know, to like. I don't know, like do all these, like learn AutoCAD and all these like, you know, computer programming and things that I really wasn't into at the time, but it was sure. part of the curriculum. Um, and then it was a lot of like math and sciences. So yeah, I was always like kind of a very type A, like overachiever. Like I think that kind of like contributed honestly to me getting sick because I would be always be stressed because I would like mm. stay up all night, you know, studying for the test or like making sure that I was always like a perfectionist, you know, like making sure I that the project was perfect or the paper. And I think that I like a lot of my stress sort of manifests itself, you know, in my stomach and my gut. And, and so, um, I'm a huge advocate of medical marijuana. That's helped me. 
Hell I've been, yeah. I've been smoking since I was 15 and doctors used to kind of like laugh at me when I would tell them this. And now of course it's so much more like known and accepted, but you know, at the time there was such a stigma on it and yeah, that doctors would laugh or, you know, my parents, I was very unapologetic about it to my family. They would mm. say, Oh, it's just an excuse. Um, even at the workplace before it was legalized recreationally, you know, it was such a stigma to talk about smoking weed. And I've worked in the alcohol business. You would think, yeah, you know, but th- people would not talk about it. And so um, that, that thing, you know, that helped me when I get become the only things that like calms me and stuff, calms my stomach. So I, I continue to be a huge advocate. We've done with Gritty and Pink, we've done fundraisers for Americans for Safe Access. And we have partnered with Drew Martin and Kana and other cannabis brands. Um, so that's like, that's a big part of it. And then also I have a very specific diet that I've been, uh, you know, very like restricted on, but just has helped me because the doctors had me on 21 pills a day. And I'm oh someone my who, God. I don't want to be on a lot of medicine. I don't want to yeah. be on a lot of pills. I prefer, even like recently they put me back on and I said, I want to come off because I don't want to be on medicine for the rest of my life, you know? So um, I'm always like kind of managing the symptoms, but I went, I was in remission for a long time. Basically when I was 21, I was on tour, had a big jar of pills and lost the pills. And I was like, I'm fine. I don't need these pills, you know? And then basically went, um, you know, many, many years without any medicine. And then, you know, actually like in 2020, things kind of the end of the year, who didn't have fucked up shit in 2020, right? Things kind of oh, like yeah. fl- flared up. Yep. I think we were, all, we were all stressed about life <laughs> and, um, and then tried some new medicines and stuff. But yeah, a uh, big thing is I can't drink. So, mm. you know, being in the alcohol industry, being a musician, being yeah. like a party girl kind of person, you know, um, that I remember like finding that out when I was like a senior in high school. And I thought I was like heading to college to go be like the party girl. And I was the girl like throwing the parties in high school, you know? And they're just like, yeah. no, you can't drink. I was like devastated. I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a social life at college. Um, you know, it ended up being a blessing disguise, I think. But it's kind of funny working in the alcohol industry for so many years. And, you know, I would have always have can in hand and I would definitely like break the rules here and there, but I had paid for it. You know, I would, yeah. I, it hurts, you know, when I drink and like I'd be up all night with stomach aches. So, <sighs> Um, so that's a big thing. Um, and then I can't have like dairy and, you know, I have a whole like other list and anyone who's experiencing like digestive difficulties or specifically reach out to me, um, you know, Instagram, DM me here under a girl or any, any way they can get at me because I'm happy to share like my diet. Cause I do have friends that have like reached out and they're like, okay, you know, peppermint tea. And like, there's very specific things that I've done. Things you have to stay away from. I cannot eat popcorn. Ooh, and yeah. These things are like hard when you are a touring musician. Like I remember one time we were in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm we from Jacksonville. Oh, really? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we played this like circus themed show, and of course we I think we were headlining, so we played at like midnight or we played really late. What was the know, venue? Like, Do you remember? I don't off the top of my head. I would have okay. to really like fish it, fish it yeah, out yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. But uh, anyways, the only food that was there was popcorn. By the time we got off the stage, everything was closed, and I was. So hungry, and I, I did smoke too. Like I get off stage, like never smoked before. I smoked after before, and I was I ended up like just eating popcorn, and I got so sick. I was doubled over in pain. We had to cancel the next show. I thought I was gonna have to go to the hospital because I cannot eat popcorn. Um, so you know, it's like it's hard. You know, when you're on the road and you're like eating from gas stations, sometimes it you know you right. can't always cook. I mean, we do what we can, but um, yeah. but I've I've learned to to manage it and. Also learned how to like, you know, of course, uh, various people, you know, struggle with sobriety for various reasons, but I've learned how to like, it's okay to like be the girl at the party drinking water, you know, and you can still dance and have fun. And I'm grateful with my personality that I don't feel like I need to drink, you know, to be that life of the party type of girl. Like I just need to hear a good song and I'm dancing, you know? So yeah, 
Um, but I'd also be the girl outside with smoking the joint. So <laughs> yeah. Well, like so many, so many things that are interesting that you that you touched on, which is like the first thing that like stood out to me was like marijuana being um something that's really helped you. And I feel like I was talking talking about this just with this. Oh my god, I can't talk talking about this to someone. Um, where like, sometimes you're ahead of the curve, like you're ahead of society. And this is like an example of that. It's like, no one was like taking it seriously or considered it as like a medical thing, but like you knew that it was, and now society has caught up with it. And I feel like it's the same for like artists, musicians. Sometimes it's like, you're like, well, why don't I have quote unquote success or whatever? And it's like, well, sometimes the world needs to catch up with your art, which is like so hard to remember, like in the moment, but it's like, it's so true. Um, no, that is so true. I can relate to that also with art and, you know, the things that we did with, with Sheer Girl and the Girl stage, like before feminism was cool or trendy, you know what yep. I mean? And and we were out there being queer queer women, like before Glee and Lady Gaga born this way and before gay marriage was in any was legal in any state. And, um, and, you know, so we were talking about these issues like way before Time's Up and all that. So I definitely relate to like, you know, being ahead of, and all that totally Um, yeah and it's like so add to you know being um a woman in the rock scene being um a queer woman in the rock space like all of that add to that like having uh Crohn's which is another thing where you're like oh I can't be like that stress is bad for this and then you add touring on top of it it's just like it seems like a lot to handle um did you find ways while on tour or I guess off tour but tour seems very stressful to me um to kind of calm the stress or the nerves to like help your digestive system or just like your mental health in general. Cause it seems like Definitely. being a woman in that space would be sc- scary and also very hard, especially like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, so something that really helps me is yoga. Mm. Um, you know, I tend to like, I'm very high energy. I talk fast. I think fast. My mind's always racing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like a make it happen kind of girl, like always doing 550 things at once, 500,000 things at once. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that really helps kind of slow me down and the breathing and I'm not so good at meditation, although I try, you know, but it's kind of the same thing, right? It's the breath, slowing down the breath. And I think part of me thinks that's why I like smoking like a joint so much. Cause it's like kind of forces you to like yeah. deepen your breath and stuff. Um, and so yeah, yoga is a big thing. Um, as I mentioned, little dietary things like peppermint tea and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And just like, you know, being careful, really careful with what I eat and drink and like, and, you know, and having a lot of self-discipline, like I can't eat fried food, so I can't stop at McDonald's, right. you know, late night for chicken nuggets, even if I want, you know, um, I can't have, again, I don't want to bore you with all my dietary restrictions, but no, this is helpful. Cause there's, I'm sure there's so many people that experience something similar to this. Well, people, I can't eat raw fruits or vegetables, uh, mostly vegetables. So I can't have salads. So a lot of times people think I'm vegan because I can't do dairy. So I go to a restaurant and I, you know, and I say, well, I can't have dairy. And then, so they're like, how about the salad? Mm. You know? And I'm like, I cannot have salad. And they, you know, it's uncomfortable because they look at me like I'm crazy and, you know, and, and I have to be kind of like very unapologetic about it, but people ever give me a hard time or, or, you know, even friends might have like the best of intentions, but sometimes they laugh, like they think it's funny. And like, you know, after all this, by the way, like, 
please don't laugh at my dietary yeah it's like it's not funny to me you know like they're like yeah. oh, you can't eat anything on the menu that's so or, or you know they're like yeah you know, if I'm going back and forth with the waiter wait, the waiter and they'll be like how about this and I'll be like no I can't do dairy how about this well that that's gonna be spicy I can't do spicy how about this no I don't do raw vegetables and they just like oh this is a riot this is not like a skit and SNL this is my right. life you know yeah um and it's so, something you deal with all the time. It's not like that this is an isolated incident where it's like, haha. It's like, no, you have to deal with this all the time. It's like, it's yeah. stressful. It's not fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, but anyways, I think, so those things, uh, exercise for sure helps. I love hiking. Like that was a big thing moving to LA, like being able to go hiking. Um, and yeah, just, you know, realizing when you're burnt out and then when you need a night on the couch in front of the TV, you know? And I think as an entrepreneur, it's hard for me to take those breaks because I always need to feel like productive and, and whatnot. But sometimes you just kind of have to like submit to it, you know, sometimes, sometimes yep. that has to be the plan, you know? So have you always been good at like being able to be like, oh, I need a night on the couch. Or has that been something that you've like had to practice and like develop your relationship with that being I an entrepreneur? Of- yeah, I, I go through phases, but I feel like in general, like I don't watch TV. I kind of, it's like, I kind of do need to sort of like, not force myself, but really allow myself to take those nights because especially if I'm alone, like I'll just work until midnight mm-hmm. and I have to like force myself to close the period. And I'm grateful for having the drive and the motivation because of course, those are times when you lose that and all you want to do is sit on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then you kind of reminding yourself that you have to like, you know, find balance and things like that. But yeah, yeah. does that like... Do you get, do you ever get your like identity tied up in your career and in your work? Because like as an entrepreneur and like, I relate to this, like it's easy to do that, especially if you like are a go-getter and you want to do stuff. And is that something that you've experienced at all? For sure. I mean, I think I recently, very recently had sort of this like crisis I was facing because I took time off from being an artist to focus on building Gritty and Pink and building mm-hmm. my business. Cause it's a lot, like you said, we just got this investment, you know, I have to yep. make sure I'm building the right team that the product is there. We're building, I'm, I'm now a tech entrepreneur. You know, I woke up, I'm in tech. So now I'm learning yep. how to develop a tech product. It's a whole different world than music. And so every time I would like kind of talk to my band, I'll, you know, let's get together. It's like, I get, I get overwhelmed. I'm completely consumed. You know, I'm trying to meet investors and pitch my company and, and fundraise. So um, so I very consciously, you know, even though I, I still perform, we have these jams where I'll do like a cover song or something. I felt very consciously sort of let myself off the hook from, you know, recording and, and releasing new music. And it, cause that can be stressful too, you know, even like it's fun to write, but then you have to release it and you have to worry about marketing it and taking, con- doing content and, you know, judging yourself on how many streams or likes or po- shares you got, you know, and it's just, there's, it's a lot these days. So, um, so yeah, I, I it had been like over a year since we released a new song and um and I we went to write a new song and I wanted to write a song about the overturn of Roe v. Wade because it mm. was like, you know, it was something that really affected me. I mean, when I woke up, it just I dropped everything and went downtown to protest. And then Gritty and Pink actually put together a protest, like a an emergency concert on a flatbed truck. So that was something I was like, okay, I we did it we had started the song and then I got really inspired after the protest. Cause that kind of activism is what got me into music, like, you know, feminism and the riot girl movement. And, yep. and so I came home and I was like, I could hear the song finally. Cause I mean, I think when you, when you're, when you don't write songs for a while, it's like you, f- I felt rusty, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. how do I write this again? Like nothing I write sounds good. I can't, I can't find a hook or whatever it is. And so gave myself like the permission to sort of just like not worry about it for six months. And then finally my drummer came home, uh, she was, she was here for like a month or so. So then all of a sudden we have like a time constraint. We're like, all right, let's finish right. the song. 
And yeah, at first I was like really feeling just hard, like down on myself. Like basically it was like, I, I define myself as an artist to your right. point, right? Like suddenly I don't know, I can't write one song. Like, am I even an artist anymore? What am I yep. doing with my life? I should have just gotten him in a lawyer or something, you know? Oh, like oh God, thoughts that I think all the time. <laughs> you know, but it's like, I just thought like, okay, like I love obviously doing what I do for women in music, but my whole why, my whole passion was because I love performing and I love being an artist and I wanted to provide that opportunity for others. And so all of a sudden I'm not writing songs and I'm just start questioning your whole, like, am I an artist? You know, mm -hmm. like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. And, but then we, we powered through it, um, finished the song and it feels so good, like to have yeah. a, a new song. Now we're like, you know, we're working on the final mix and I think we're going to release it during Women's Day. I'm really excited. Uh, it's called Rights Back Right Now. And so, it. yeah, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, hopefully before that. And yeah, I'm really excited to just have that creative part back because I think when you spend all day writing emails on Zoom calls and looking at spreadsheets, it, that can take a lot out of you. And especially totally. when you are a creative person, you know, yep. so yeah. like when you're an artist at heart, but you still like have, you know, the entre entrepreneurial spirit and also like the drive and the ideas, it's hard to do all of that. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you do when you were feeling like low and like, am I even an artist anymore? Like, what did you do in that time to, uh, help yourself or like, remember who you are, or was it just like powering through that emotion? Um, I journaled journal. I, okay. I started, I talked to a lot of, of people. I started thinking about, um, oh, I, I listened to some of my favorite songs, you know, mm. for, I love pink, like I, for inspiration, I drove a big thing for me. I love writing while I drive. Mm. Um, and one night it was like, I was in a good mood. I was hanging out with friends. And then I put on, like, we had the instrumental track, you know, and I put it on driving home and something about driving. It's like, it gets you into a meditative state. And I yeah. love writing while I drive. Cause it's like, you're, we're all used to listening to music while we drive, right? We listen to the radio yep. or whatever it is. So, um, and I think maybe like there was a good song came on the radio right before that I was like, oh, I listened to my song and then it came out. Cause <laughs> this is also something too, like as an artist, like I don't want to name names, but I heard sure. an artist on the radio and I mean, the hook was so dumb, you know, it was just, I mean, they say brainlessly brilliant, but it's like, wow, am I overthinking it? I'm sitting here being like, I need this brilliant hook. It's like, it just needs to be something really simple and like repetitive and catchy you know yeah and so I heard a song on the radio and I was like wow this is like you know really easy and they were doing one of those like really predictable you know rhyme schemes like together forever and girl sure. and world and you know I'm like ah, I am overthinking this you know like yeah. and it's so then it just kind of came to me because I it was usually when I write it does start with um a title I mean we write all different kinds of ways but this particular sure. instance we had started with the track and I and I and I actually had I had the verse the verse was like clear as night and day but I couldn't get the hook and then uh yeah and then it just kind of came to me like okay you're like fighting for our rights back right now because you need that kind of catchy like you know yeah I love a good play on words and oh yeah and so yeah I'm really like happy with how it came together and and I feel like an artist again but yeah there was like a moment where I was kind of like you know you just if anything, you do imposter syndrome, right? And you kind of yep. get filled with doubt. And and it's hard once you're in that negative mindset, it's hard to get out of it. Also, that same week that we recorded, I played a show and that helped too. Because, you know, as an artist, again, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, playing a show, we haven't played in so long. It's the same old songs. Like, it's mm. stale. I'm not even that excited about it because it's like, I want to be playing new music, you know. But then once you do it, it's like you get into the mode and you're like, okay, yeah, I am pretty good at this, you know. People yeah. seem to like it and I'm having fun. So Yeah, yeah. especially like doing 
being in music for so long, I can imagine like there's so like, it's helpful in that you've like done it all, but also because you've done it all, I wonder if there's an, like, you feel like you have to like do better than the last thing you did or like a couple of songs for ago sure. or whatever. Like, does that oh, exist yeah. in your mind? Definitely. You're always like thinking that you want, because I love the last single that we released then it, you have, you have to get better and better, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, you're always thinking about that for sure. And then, you know, like we did like I, our last single was anti-social media and we did a really awesome video for that one that I was like super proud of, you know, and it's like, all right, well, how are we going to outdo that? It's like, How do you, you know? top it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, has, it seems like you've had to, and correct me if I'm wrong, like learn new skills now that you have like built your business and you talked about like having to do like zoom calls and Excel and like learn how to do different things in tech. How has like learning a new skill been beneficial for like your mental health or your confidence, um, like moving forward in this space? Um, for, for, sorry, before I answer your question, I just, before I forget, I know you might chop this up a bit, but there is one other example, um, about back me. that's, that's more like related to music that I want to talk to. Cause Ooh, I think it's yeah, an epic let's talk story. About it. Yeah. Um, but I'm totally down to like, come, come back to that question. Or no, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. So one of my favorite stories about how I bounced back um, in, in my music career is um, in 2006, I was on the Warp Tour and I was running this Sierra Girl stage for female artists. And um, it was the second year that we did the tour. And, you know, we had previously crashed the tour because there were no female musicians on stage. And so we ended up creating, you know, our own stage for female artists. And that year, uh, and in 2005, we had Paramore on their first ever tour. And then oh that God. year, 2006, Joan Jett was on the main stage. And she used to bike over and watch all the girl bands. She was like scouting for her record label. Um, and we became friend friendly, honestly, like her crew sort of took us under their wing and we were like smoking joints on their tour bus. And we felt like we were so cool, you know? Yeah. And um, the girls that were touring with me and my band were really young. And a couple of them were, were just, the, you know, Warp Tour is a very intense tour it's like the new york city of tours i say like if you can mm. make it there you can make it anywhere sure um but essentially the tour started on the east coast circle back to the west coast and when the tour came to la long story short half my band quit and okay. why in the middle of the tour uh they just couldn't handle it i mean yeah. it, it's it's just a tough tour you know mm -hmm. you're living in an rv like you know whatever for whatever reason um and yeah, I was like so upset because here I am working my ass off to put on like all these other girl bands, you know, which I'm happy to do. But at the end of the day, as I mentioned, you know, my ultimate passion is to perform, you know, right. that's what inspires me to do what I do and to help others do it as well. So I was like, damn, I put so much like, you know, work into being on this tour. And now I'm not gonna be able to perform for the rest for the second half of the tour. Like this sucks, you know? And, um, I was just like really bummed about it. And I was in my RV and I got this knock at the door, knock at the door. And I opened up my RV door and Joan Jett is standing there. And Ooh. she's like, can I come in? Huh? <laughs> yes, please do come into my RV. Yeah. So she sits on the couch and she's like, looks me dead ass in the eye. And she's like, listen, I heard, you know, that some of your girls, you know, couldn't take it on their own. She goes, girls like that make girls like us look bad. And you need to keep going because you're doing a good thing, you know? And I just like, was like, you know, like I better keep going because Joan Jett just told me to, you know? And it was one of those sort of, you know, life-changing, life-affirming moments where I was like, okay, like I got to keep going. Um, you know, and her label had shown interest in signing us for the tour and we had 
we had played some other shows with them. So I ended up uh, flying out one of my friends to play guitar for the rest of the tour. Uh, and one and one of the other drummers from the other bands that was playing the stage filled in on drums. So we did it. We finished the tour. And when the tour rolled around to the last tour date was in Cleveland, Ohio, Joan actually joined us on stage. We played Bad Reputation. She's like, you're going to sing lead and I'm going to play backup and sing backup. Or so I'm going to play guitar and sing backup. Yeah. Oh my God. we were like practicing right before we went on stage. Like I felt like I was in the fucking runaways, you know, we were like rehearsing and it was so epic. And Kevin Lyman, you know, the founder of Warped Tour was out watching and I ended up getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Warped Tour exhibit because that day they were collecting like set lists and things for, for you know, the Hall of Fame. So that was like the coolest thing ever. And, and I think that's, yeah, one of my favorite examples of bouncing back because, you know, I could have just as easily, you know, just quit at that yep. point. And, um, you know, even after that tour, it, it was a rough tour because uh, one of my uh, you know, main collaborators musically who was in the band, uh, you know, we were also dating, we ended up breaking up, it was like a messy breakup. And, you know, I just thought, wow, like, two months ago, I was maybe going to get signed by Joan Jett's label. And I was like, around, you know, um, you know, on top of the world. And then we actually had a date like opening up for Rancid, mm. like a week after the tour. <laughs> and uh, I called because I met Tim Armstrong, like through work a couple of years prior. And uh, I called up uh, my now current drummer who I've now been playing with for many years that, you know, I said, Hey, you want to open, open up a ransom with me? You know, but I think we had like one rehearsal, maybe two. And uh, we weren't very good, <laughs> but I was determined to like do like one of my friends was like, Oh, let my, like, give me the gig. Like let my band play. I was like, no, we're going to play. You know, yeah. I'm like the show must go on kind of girl. Like I yeah. grew up in music and musical theater and dance. Um, and I went on stage. I had pink hair at the time before, we even played a note. We got booed. This was in Philly at the Trocadero. It I was, was going like, to ask you about like getting booed. So I'm, this is interesting that you touched and on H2, it right H2O now. was like opening, you know, H2O, the hardcore band was on the bill. And so the whole crowd was like 16 year old hardcore boys with shaved mm. heads. Literally. I don't even think there was like one chick in the audience. Nightmare. Nightmare and I come out in my, in my pink hair and my skirt. And I'm working on a keel. And like before we even played a note, we got booed. And then, you know, I, I will admit we also didn't put on like the strongest performance because half my band, you know, had quit and we were, it was a lot of like, you know, last minute, like, I still think I rock, but you know, uh, the cool thing was Rancid brought us on stage during their set and Tim, he's always been so loyal to me. And he's like, this is my girl Sherry. He's like, y'all going to show her some respect. I'm <gasps> like, yeah. And they brought me on stage and they said before they go any, like while a show was playing, they're like, we're going to bring you on stage to sing any song of your choice with us. And it's so funny because it was right after the album Indestructible. I don't know if you're a Rancid fan, but yeah. um, I chose this like B-side called Out of Control, which was a song that I love, which actually Lars sings on. And, um, you know, instead of doing Time Bomb or like one of the- Right, 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 songs, right, 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 yeah. Yep. But I just thought it was like a badass song. And um, and so I remember like being backstage, like rehearsing with Lars. And it was one, again, one of those like just surreal moments. Like I got to have all these cool like moments. I was so young. And um, yeah, went on stage and like crushed it. And they actually brought me on stage again at the New York show, even though we weren't opening. And two years later, I will say, we were asked again to open up for Rancid at Irving Plaza. And uh, by then I had my band together. I mean, we were tight. We had been touring. We had new music and we went on and we crushed it. And I remember seeing Tim like watch us from the side of the stage. And I felt like we were making him proud, you know, yeah. because- we crushed it. And two, and two months later after that, we opened up for no effects. Also, we toured with them and it was just like, 
the fact that he gave us that chance, you know, and he saw something in me, you know, and was like, I'm going to, you know, this, this girl has something to say, like, I'm going to give her a platform. And I, and we worked our asses off to like, you know, to get back up there and, and it was worth it. And we did win over the crowd, you know, right. but at first we had, I had to go through that really, you know, and I feel like a lot of people also would have just run from that entirely and been like, oh, you know, punk rock doesn't like girls or it's mm-hmm. not good. It's not my scene or whatever. Um, But yeah, it was kind of determined to like, yeah. Do you feel like, do you feel like those moments, like the low moments? So when you're, when, you know, half your band quits, when you get booed before you play a note, do you feel like that is more fuel for growth or do you feel like your accomplishments is more fuel for growth? Like, do you feel like when you hit these negative moments, is it helpful in any way? Or are you like, no, man, I wish that didn't fucking happen. <laughs> Well, it does push you, you know, and it does make for good stories. I mean, mm. yeah, if my band had never quit, I never would have had that moment with Joe right. where, you know, she was like, you're doing a good thing. It's you know? so hard to remember in the moment, though, like that, 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 that there's possible, you know, you're not like yeah. thinking, oh, Joan Jett's going to knock on my fucking trailer door, you know? No, definitely not thinking that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think. I feel like the music industry is such a roller coaster. The highs are so high and the lows are so low, you know, like when you got nothing going on or, you know, whatever it is, like you, you're disappointed, you lose an opportunity, you mess up on stage, you know, you, you like, you spe- you, you're so stoked to release a song and no one's listening and you mm-hmm. have like 200 streams that are probably yep. mostly from you, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, whatever it is, like, yeah, I think even in, in like running a business, a big thing for me is like trying to make everyone happy. Ugh, yeah. Which is literally impossible, especially a, like a, a, a business that's like, you know, based in a community and inevitably there's going to be, I hate to say it, but you know, some bad seeds, you know, there's going to be some people that don't get it, that try to bring you down that, you know, try to uh, kind of, you know, kill the vibe and, you know, but you just keep going. And, you know, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, Oh, you know, this person said this and this person said that. And, she said, you did this, or they're not happy with that. And I said, listen, I work so hard to keep everyone happy, to make everyone feel included. Like these are things that keep me up at night. I said, but at the same time, if I worry about what every single person is saying, like I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, let right. alone run this company, put on these events. Like, you know, like at some point you just have to accept that you can't make everyone happy, but you know, you're doing the best in your heart. You know, you're doing the right thing, you know, and people are on their own shit and they're going to say and do whatever they want to do, you know? So I mean, those girls, I mean, considering that those dudes booed me before I even played a note, it's like, I couldn't even take it personal because it's like, right. I get it. Sexism. Sexism wasn't new to me at that point. You know, even when we did Warped Tour, there were bets against us, you know, making it to the next city. So um, fucking sucks. Like that takes so much like perseverance to get that type of, you know, fucking sexism and uh, hate and be able to be like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to keep doing this thing. Like that's I think, so hard. No, totally. But I think when it comes to that kind of stuff, in a way it kind of fuels me because people say sometimes, or people question like, is there really a need for this, what you're doing? You know, like oh, we're, we're, we're basically equal, right? Like, you know, but mm-hmm. especially of course, you know, straight white dudes are yep. often say that, you know, but then we have plenty of allies too. It's not every straight white dude, but I'm just saying like, it in a way it just like validates me more that there's a need to do what we're doing you know Mm because again I discovered like punk rock through riot girl through feminism and 
the patriarchy, you know, and like learning about, and the numbers don't lie, you know, in the music industry, like the ratio of men to women on the radio is four to one, which is mind blowing because you don't think of it that way because you think of Taylor Swift and Beyonce and how successful they are. But even these women like talk about, you know, why did Taylor Swift feel the need to to write the man, right? And play a dude in her music video, right? Why did Beyonce feel the need to write Run the World Girls, right? So it's like, even these women at the top are crushing it they're struggling imagine what it's like for us us you know at the bottom you know what we have to go through so i think there's this misconception because of course you know we've seen improvements in some ways but then look at row right it's like yep. two steps forward one step back so i don't know i wish that we didn't you know have to be validated in our in our anger <laughs> but yeah at the yeah. same time i it does fuel me in a way um yeah just like hearing you talk about like Joan Jett and it just that whole story and Rancid and everything. It's like, it kind of makes me think how important like mentors and just like advocates are for women in in any capacity, but in entertainment specifically, like if you don't see yourself represented, you one, you don't have anybody to like ask if you have a question or you need advice, you don't have anybody to go to, you know, but also it's like, well, if nobody else has done this, how could I possibly do this? How could I be the first person to do this? Which is why I think like gritty and pink is so cool too, because it's like, now you can see other, you can see yourself reflected back to you in like the industry you want to be in. So it doesn't seem as like daunting or impossible. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have like, what is your like relationship with like a mentorship? Like, did you have a mentor growing up or did you like, did, was there anyone that you like aspired to be like, or like, what was your relationship with that? So Kevin Lyman is, is a big mentor to me, mm. the founder of Warp Tour. And the yeah. ironic thing is, you know, our, our relationship started by me calling him out for not having enough women on this tour. Mm. But in the end of the day, he was very supportive, you know, of, of me kind of doing my thing, even though I had to sort of, you know, literally crash the tour he let me stay, you know, instead of kicking me out, he said, okay, so you're on for the rest of the tour. He saw it, chutzpah. he believed in what I did. You know, at the end of the day, he has two daughters in the industry. You know, he had a lot of women on his staff and he wanted to support. So um, he's given me countless, you know, tidbits of advice. And, and you know, now even with Gritty and Pink, you know, he's he's on our board. He's on our, he's an advisor. He's an investor. He really believes, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is. So yeah, that's um, incredible. Yeah, Kevin is, is a huge mentor of mine. And I've certainly had other mentors. Um, Karen Khan from an organization named iFund Women mm. has helped me a lot. She helped me pivot my business model when we first came up with the marketplace model, because we started Gritty and Pink uh, sort of as a network. And we were doing over COVID a lot of like online workshops and, um, and it was, you know, it was going to be more sort of membership based. And, uh, you know, we just thought, yeah, you know, we can monetize the artists and and it was going to be sort of like a freemium model, you know, where it's like Mm. free to join and then you could kind of upgrade for premium benefits and stuff. But we realized like at the end of the day, what do women need? They need to get hired and they need to get paid, right? Yep. So that's how we decided to do the marketplace model. And so Karen always says we're the iPhone women in the music industry, but they have helped us a ton. Actually um, got honored. I don't know if you see my, my, uh, little award there, but we got honored in the iPhone Women Fund Forward Awards last year. We were the category winner for Arts Media and Entertainment. It was a pitch edition. That's scary. Uh, but that was great. Um, and we also got through that, we got a partnership with Johnny Walker. And so um, 
yeah, very, very grateful for her as one of my business mentors. And, um, and yeah, I have a bunch, you know, we have a whole advisory board and we did the Long Beach Accelerator program uh, with Sunstone. That was our first check-in in in terms of investors. And they linked me um, with a mentor, uh, one of my mentors who's now on my advisory board, um, Chris Mendez and, you know, so it's great too. It's like, we have a, a completely, you know, women run company, but we do have, you know, men on our advisory board. And I'm very grateful for that because, you know, we need to diversify, we need different, you know, perspectives and we, we need support and allies. So, yeah, I was going to say like, <clears throat> I'm sure it's helpful in some way, because unfortunately I'm assuming sometimes hearing it from a straight white male, people are like, okay, I'll do that. Versus if you heard it from any other type of person, they may be like, uh, no, you know what I mean? Right. Um, how did you get on warp tour? Cause I'm interested now that you're saying like you asked Kevin or whatever, but I don't want to like hear about like how that even happened. Cause it sounds so interesting to me. Well, I was actually working on the warp tour for the truth campaign, which is the anti-tobacco campaign for teens. Mm. And, um, your water bottle is very warped her, by the way, the black. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, um, you can't take and, the warped her out of me. <laughs> and, um, that's when I noticed there were no women on the tour. And so I approached Kevin. I said, why are there no women playing this tour? Cause there literally was did not you know one. him. Did you, ha- did you know him at that point? I didn't know him. No. Uh, he came on our bus on our tour bus to sort of schmooze the sponsors. Cause I was like touring with truth. And, uh, he was like a party guy back in those days. <laughs> not yeah, so yeah, much yeah. anymore, but you know, we were all kind of having drinks and whatever. Not me as you already heard that story, but, yep. <laughs> um, sure. I was smoking something anyways. And and I just said, I kind of, kind of got all up in his face. Right. I, I got all up in his grill. I said, why are there no girls on this tour? Cause there was not one girl. Like, it's your I think there was one female singer, Sumi Bong, and that was it on the whole tour. And every now and then there would be like on the low band stage for one day, there would be like a girl band. And when I would ask people, the crowd, they would say, um, girls don't play this kind of music. I said, no, I, that's not true. I have, a, I have like a lot of friends in all girl hardcore bands back in New York, you know, cause I was part of this riot girl scene. So, um, so yeah, you know, I just kind of, I, I sort of got in his grill about it and he said, he, he, you know, he was listening, but he was also defensive, you know, sure. to his, you know, to his defense, it wasn't just a warp trip problem. It was an industry problem. Girl mm-hmm. bands weren't getting signed. They weren't getting played on the radio. He needs to book bands that are going to sell tickets, you know? Yep. So it's like, it was a much bigger problem than him, you know? Um, but he said, I booked the Donna's. They don't want to come back. They're too good for my tour now, you know? Right. Um, and so it had a lot to do, I think, with how the industry was was treating, you know, girl bands more so than like just him not booking them. Sure. But um, but he said, you know, we said, oh, let us come back and take over the girls' garage tent. There was this tent, uh, and you know, we'll DJ and we'll book local bands. And he just said, great idea. Let's do it next year because like it's the 10th anniversary of the tour. We got a lot going on. You know, when you're 21, you're like next year, like right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ne- one year is like a decade, right? So we just decided we're like, fuck it, we're showing up anyway. We were touring in a pink RV. We had come to LA to record with Tim Armstrong because I met him on Warped or Three, and he had like invited us to to record. And so, uh, yeah, we we rolled in and um, set up in front of the skate ramp and. You know, we, I knew some people on the tour because we had been on the tour, you know, so we got like the VIP credentials from the truth campaign or the truth truck or whatever. And, but yeah, we were not supposed to be there and yeah. we, we pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> Did you? But they like let you stay. Well, yeah. Cause at the end of the day, it's Kevin's choice, you know, right. if, his, if his production team's like, what the hell is this? He walks up and, you know, we're like literally holding our breath and he looks around and he's like, Shira, fully expecting to get kicked out. You know, I thought he'll let us play and then, you know. 
don't come around here again. And he said, all right, so you on for the rest of the tour? And I felt like it was both a, an invite and a challenge, you know? And people yeah. did bet against us, but we followed the tour and we had like no resources. But then when we decided to come back the following year and do it official, then he did support. He gave us catering and some gas money. And he also basically said, you know, if you can like make it, but I'll let it happen. That was kind of always like, you know, and, and he did introduce me to his, team and they showed me how to put a sponsor deck together and just how to go about getting sponsors and so yeah that was always his take was like if you can make it happen you all know, let it happen which you know is a lot better than get the fuck out of my tour so yeah <laughs> we, so then we worked up to the point where he was actually like actively supporting it yeah yeah that takes like a lot of confidence courage all the things to like one just be like when he's on the bus being like hey why aren't there any women on this tour and then to also be like man we're just gonna do it anyway what do you like attribute having that confidence like where did you develop that have you were you like born with that is something that is that something you had to like work on like how did you what do you attribute that to I get this question a lot I think it's my Jewish mother (laughs) (laughs) no and like just my Jewish upbringing like it was like we were always taught like, don't take no for an answer. That was like a big thing. And like, also my mom always said, ask and you shall receive like the squeaky mm. wheel gets the oil and like all those sayings. So like, it's like, you know, it's funny because there's so many like stereotypes of like, you know, like the Jewish family at uh, at the restaurant. Anyway, Jackie Mason, great comedian, makes fun of Jews ordering at a restaurant. It's it, like, the idea is basically, we just speak up and we're not like right. afraid to say when things aren't right, you know? Yep. Um, so I, I just feel like I was always taught to just speak up and advocate for myself. And, um, and I was never a shy person. I mean, like I was just, my personality was always very like outgoing and kind of like bossy, you know, like mm-hmm. to the kids in school. Um, and then I think being a performer, I always loved the stage, but like that also, you know, helped with my confidence. Like I, since I tap dance ballet since I was three years old, just being on stage, like I was just being kind of like a show person. So, but yeah, I don't know. People ask me that all the time and it's like, I don't, it's like, I don't know. I think it's just part of my personality, but I do try to help people with it. You know, like there's some, you know, we have interns and girls on the team you know, that are shy and they're trying to come out of their shell a little bit more, you know, and I think some of it can be attributed to personality and some of it is just like kind of changing how you think. Like, I think a lot of people are scared to ruffle feathers or to ask for things. I always, even like, that's why women get paid less a lot of the times mm-hmm. is because they won't ask for it. They won't negotiate or they'll accept the first offer. Yep. I always tell my friends, I help my friends negotiate. Don't, never accept the first offer. Yep. What is the worst that could happen? You ask for more and they say, no, they're not going to say, forget it. You're not you, people like, yep. I, you don't even, I don't even want you to get the job now. Yep. You know, it's like, so men, like they come with this whole, I have the power. They want me. I'm going to ask for more and they're going to get it. And women are like, oh, uh, thank you so much for this offer. Yeah. I'm grateful that you even want to consider me, you know, and they're yep. like overqualified. So, um, so yeah, I think that it's just, yeah, it comes down to like reframing how you think about things and like, just, ha- I always had this kind of this, like nothing to lose mentality. Like literally what did I have to lose by Kevin? Like getting annoyed at me? Like at that point, you know, I don't know. I just, and I, I always feel too, like I was very active in college, you know, we like, I, you know, I protested the war and, um, I, and I've always just been outspoken at like you know speaking up against injustices and 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 things that I feel are important and um and so I think that that also kind of plays into it because you just get to a place where you're very comfortable like being able to call things out when you feel that they're not right I don't know I feel like that's very that's that's super rad though because 
at least the way I was brought up, I was not brought up to like ask for what I needed. I was, I was brought up as like to take what you're given and to be thankful for it, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that a lot of women in like my, my mom's generation and obviously the generation before that saw like grew up with that too. So to have your family be like, no, you can fucking, you're going to ask for what you want. Like I, that is so important and oddly enough, not really taught or I wasn't taught that at least. Yeah. So like to recognize that is like super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I also really liked what you said about like reframing thoughts because that's something that gets brought up a hand, like kind of a lot on this podcast is like, instead of like trusting like the first thing, like reframing and be like, well, what if it's this instead? Um, which I think is like super, uh, interesting and cool and useful moving forward in life. Um, as we approach this hour, I wanted to ask you, and this is like kind of a cliche question, but if you were talking to women who are experiencing a low point or an obstacle or someone maybe were like, was like, or is like, no, you can't do this thing. I'm not going to let you do this thing. I'm stopping it here. Do you have any like advice that you could give to that person? Sorry. Can you rephrase the question? Yeah. Sorry. If if you, no, no, you're good. If like a woman is experiencing like an obstacle or a roadblock, do you have any advice to overcome that and to like, keep going? There, I have this, um, (laughs) I have this posted on my wall. (laughs) Keep going. I think of Joan Jett saying, you got to keep going. You're doing mm-hmm. good thing. It's like, the only thing that you could really do wrong would be to quit. You know, <sighs> it's okay to take your time. It's okay, you know, to not know the answers yet, to take a break, you know, but um, I'm trying to think of, there's this quote that I'm trying to think of. It's not coming to mind, but it's something about how, like, never give up on a goal because of how long it will take because the time's going to pass anyway. Mm-hmm. And that is like the truest thing ever. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and I'm an impatient person and I'm like, and I do set lofty goals for myself. And then if I don't meet them, I get very disappointed in myself. I think I, I faced that at the end of last year, even though we had this crazy successful year and we got Live Nation on board. It's like, I had a set amount that I was trying to raise for the business and I didn't reach it. And I was like horrified at myself, despite the fact that the economy, you know, is in yeah. dumps and, you know, there's all these other factors that are out of my control, right? And one of my good friends, said to me, I think it was like the end of November. She's like, you know what? You've done so much this year. She goes, if you were to just take the rest of the year off, like you still would have done enough this year. And I'm like, what? No, but it, but it did make me think of things differently. I'm like, okay, now I'm thinking like, instead of like thinking about what else, what other mountains I have to move, you know, in December, think about, you know, just wrapping up loose ends and, you know, like anything I do now is extra, you know? Right. Which is like reframing in and of itself too. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I think that, women tend to be very hard on ourselves yes. and, 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 um, especially ambitious women, you know? And so, yeah, it's just like, I think we all have those moments where we want to quit or we don't, or we lose motivation or we don't want to get out of bed and you just have to like, just keep going and just power through it. And, you know, the only way through the only way out is through it or whatever. There's all yeah. these like, yeah, things yeah, yeah. that I'm yep. messing up, but, um, but yeah, I think I, I can be very impatient about when things take too long. And it's like, but I know how good I'm going to feel once I finally hit that goal, despite the fact it took two more years, you know, than I thought it would, but yeah, we're still going to make it happen. Yeah. 
Uh, well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. I know you have so much fucking shit going on. So I really appreciate it. It was an absolute treat to talk to you. Um, and yeah, just thank you for your time. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest musician and founder of Gritty and Pink, Shira Girl. You can follow her on Instagram. Her handle is Shira underscore girl. Also, go check out Gritty and Pink. They are a platform to empower a community of diverse women creators and music pros. Uh, their handle is Gritty and Pink Life on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. New episodes every Thursday. Mm-hmm.